Thanks, Ben. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Hiawatha Church. Uh, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for coming today, especially if you are uh, new to our community. We're glad uh, you're here, especially on Easter. Uh, thanks for worshiping with us today. Um, and a much better year. I was, I was uh, reminiscing this week, and I said first service. Last year, there were four of us in the sanctuary doing a Facebook Live service, and we can all be together now, which is obviously uh, a huge uptick, right? It's much better. But it also snowed last year. You guys remember that? It snowed like too much. Uh, last year. So uh, a much, last Easter was just the worst, but this, this Easter is, um, or for those reasons, <laughs> Easter is still Easter, praise God, but, um, but for those reasons it was terrible, but this year is uh, much better. So glad you all are here. We are in a series right now wrapping up today in the Gospel of Luke, a shortened, kind of abridged uh, walk through um, some of the high points of Luke in some ways, but focusing on Holy Week, we uh, looked at Palm Sunday last Sunday, of course, and then uh, Spence a couple of days ago focused in on the cross. Today we're going to look at uh, a chapter, the last chapter of Luke, a section of it, which is one of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. So uh, just to kind of set the stage for you of where we are in the story, and I mean kind of the biblical story, but right kind of in the context of Luke as well, and this being Easter Sunday, from the vantage point of Luke, where we are is Jesus is risen from the dead. He is, uh, he's alive. He's appeared to Mary at the tomb, uh, to the women at the tomb, and he's revealed himself that way. Shortly thereafter, uh, he appears to two men on the road to Emmaus, and I'll get to that. But in verses 1 to 3, it says, The first day of the week, which is Sunday, early dawn, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away, and when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And then kind of this very famous uh, angelic response. The angels say, He's not here, but he's risen. Or some of the other accounts say, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? It's a great, uh, great thing that they must have enjoyed saying uh, to these um, mournful people who were still at a funeral, but they shouldn't have been because he's not dead anymore. But then they say, remember how we told you all this stuff. Like, Jesus, this shouldn't be a surprise to you. We told you this is going to happen while uh, we were all in Galilee. You were in Galilee, that he must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, crucified, and then on the third day, rise. And then, like I was just saying, at this point, in Luke's account, this is a unique uh, account in the Gospel of Luke, he, Jesus appears to two disciples as they were traveling on the road to a small village called Emmaus. Uh, one of the men is unnamed, one is named Cleopas. And as they were talking to each other about all these things that transpired, Jesus' death, um, how he said he was the one to deliver Israel, but now... In their eyes, that must not be true because he's dead. They think he's still dead. But then they're also talking about what the angels told the women. They caught wind of this. and They're kind of confused about that, how his body's not there anymore. They're talking amongst themselves about all of this. But then Jesus himself actually just appears to them. Uh, but they didn't recognize him, which adds this dramatic uh, tension to the story. He's going to reveal himself to them, as you might, you might imagine or might know. But at this point, they don't understand that it's him. It actually says here, their eyes were kept from recognizing him which implies, being the passive voice of the word, that they're not doing the blinding, that, that the blinding's being done to them. It implies that Jesus is doing the preventing of fully revealing himself to them for a reason. We'll get to that today. Or God is. God the Father is. Um, and then after Jesus sits them down and opens up the Bible to them to show them how all the Bible was about him and his sufferings and his resurrection, which is a big part of Luke 24. A lot of you guys uh, know that, which we're not going to look at today, but that's a huge piece after all of that, they uh, go to their house and they ask Jesus, who they don't know is Jesus uh, still yet, to stay with them. And we pick up here in verse 28. 
today. Today we're going to look at this idea of knowing Jesus through the breaking of bread. So have that idea in your mind when we read this short passage today from, from Luke 24. Let's read in full to begin, picking up here then in, in verse 28. So, they, the disciples, drew near to the village which they were going. Jesus acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. All right, so we're just going to preach through this passage today, some of the high points, as you uh, might have guessed. But I want to really drill into this uh, passage, this last idea, especially in verse 35, but kind of by way of asking this question. I think it's one of the big Easter questions, uh, I'll call it, according to Luke 24. And the question is this, why does Jesus prevent them from recognizing him at first? For what purpose? Because, again, it's clearly being done to them rather than kind of being done uh, from them or something that they're, it's not the active voice of, of, the, uh, of the verb or the idea. And so why is this, uh, why does this happen? It actually happens to Mary too, if you remember, where Mary does not recognize him at first. He, she thinks he's the gardener. Remember that in, in, John, in John 20? So we, we see this theme come up elsewhere as well with um, other individuals. So you can kind of ask it there too. But, but here, what does Jesus or why does Jesus prevent them from recognizing him at first? And the answer, I think, starts to take shape. You might have kind of gleaned this as I read, but the answer starts to take shape in verses 30 to 31, where it says again, when he was at table with them, he took the bread, Jesus does, and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then look at what the next word is. And their eyes were opened. And then they recognized him, and Jesus vanished from their sight. The vanishing idea is kind of interesting. It's odd, obviously, right? We don't know how that looked exactly, but he at least left right away or he actually vanished before them. We don't know. But though it's odd, it actually is helpful because it suggests to us that Jesus made his point. Kind of has the feel of everything I've been doing up to this point and opening the Bible to you and walking with you and breaking bread for you has gotten you the answer that I've wanted you to get. And so he vanished. It's almost like there was nothing more to say. And so he gets up and leaves or, or vanishes at, at this point. But with Jesus, the, kind of, the question remains, to what end does he do all this? And, and we see clearly here, kind of along, so on, on the heels of um, what is said here, Jesus did want them to recognize him, right? Like he clearly wanted that. He wanted them to know he was alive. Uh, think of places like where he shows his scars to Thomas, right? And he reveals himself to the 500 at once, as, as is recounted in, um, in 1 Corinthians 15, I believe. And so we have, we have stories, instances, uh, theological and historical stories of this, where Jesus is Pentecost, of course, but pre-Pentecost. We want this, Jesus wants to be known, and he wants us to understand that his mission was accomplished and that he is alive and death had no hold um, over him. And that's what he wants for us as well. God, God, I would say, one of the lessons here, at least in passing, is God wants to be known. God is not hiding from you. He's not hiding behind a barrier. He's not hiding behind a language 
uh, situ- barrier situation. He's not hiding behind uh, distance uh, or um, cultural cloudiness. He's not hiding behind a wall of sin. Uh, he wants to be known. One of the first, and this is all Easter morning. Isn't that cool that he doesn't wait a day, he doesn't wait a couple of days, but he instantly starts to show himself to people, which in and of itself says that he not just wants to be known, but his resurrection meant something for sinners. It, it's, uh, he wants his glorified body to be seen and savored and received and, and believed in. And so it's, I think, extremely significant that this is not a religious idea, that Jesus did not go to meditate in the desert, for example, and stay out there hoping we would go pilgrimage to him and find him and learn from him in the deserts as if he were a monk or something. But instead, he actively is seeking out people. And if you didn't know this, I say this every Easter, I realize, but there's not one example in the Bible of people finding Jesus after he's raised from the dead. But in every single instance, Jesus is the one who appears to people. Uh, and this is one of the cases, right? Jesus is all of a sudden there with them on the road. Uh, it, it one, at one point, he disappears even through locked doors to the disciples. He appears to Mary and the women at the tomb. He, he, he's always the one who surprises people with himself and his presence. He's not found by you or me. He's not found by your righteousness. He's not pilgrimaged to by your good works or by your strength or physical ability. But Jesus is the one who travels to us. That is a grace idea, right? We are saved by grace, not by works. And I think you see that here um, in sort of the backdrop of Luke 24 and how he goes, uh, appears to him and goes to eat with them. All right. But there's also more nuance to this, right? Because even as we say all of that, we could still ask, but why does he hide his identity at all? Why not reveal yourself fully right away if you're Jesus here? And I think the answer to that has to do with on what terms Jesus wants to be known. So look at verse 35. Then they, so the two disciples go and tell the other 11, they say what? They, they go and tell them what happened on the road and how Jesus was known to them specifically in the breaking of bread. And that's what I want to look at for the rest of our time is verse 35 especially. But again, Jesus' goal was just not that, that they would recognize him, but that they would recognize him in a certain way in, in the breaking of bread. They were kept from seeing him, but when Jesus broke bread with them and gave it to them, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they saw him and they recognized him for who he really was. So that's kind of odd maybe, and um, maybe some of you guys have read this before, maybe not. It's an odd inclusion. We, don't, we only get this here in Luke, but it's really significant, the juxtaposition, the, the connectedness between these two ideas uh, for the sake of theology and for the sake of understanding what salvation is and what the gospel of Jesus Christ truly is. But, but again, there's really no ambiguity here at all. It wasn't they happened to be eating when Jesus just decided to reveal himself to them he was having bread, and then, oh, I just, he just decided to open their eyes then. It wasn't about the when so much, but more about the how. And so uh, as we start to talk more than about what the gospel is, this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus plays a really key role, as I was just saying, in our understanding. The broader question might be, how does God reveal himself to sinful human beings? The more specific question might be, who is Jesus Christ? Because that's how God speaks to us But Luke 24 gets even more specific. It drills even deeper in saying, to know Jesus Christ, that is to know God, 
has something to do with broken bread. Knowing Jesus Christ for who he truly is has something to, to do with broken bread. And if, you, if you're starting here in the Bible, if you open this, your first time ever reading it, and this is what you're reading, it might be a little bit unclear, but at least we'd see that, right? How did they know Jesus was? Bread was broken, and then their eyes were opened. Bread was given, and then their eyes were opened. and said, he's the guy. This is the one we knew and followed. This is the one who taught us. This is the one who healed us. And this is the one who uh, died and who is now alive. And as we think back to things in, say, the Old Testament, the things the Old Testament said about Jesus, how it, predict, how it predicted his coming, as we think to, like, things Jesus said and did before he died, you know, I was talking to people between the services, too, like, this is Christians, like, we take communion all the time. In one sense, all those things together, it shouldn't be super surprising to us, but I do want to walk through this from two different angles today for the rest of our time, and, and that is to break this phrase down even further than, um, than what we just did, starting with Jesus being in the bread itself. And probably what's happening here is circumstance is aiding in remembrance. I don't know if you guys have ever had a situation where like smelling the air or something or um, using your senses in different ways reminds you of something where you kind of forget and all of a sudden your senses kind of come together and you remember something. Um, I even had that this spring where things were getting warm in early March, and I had some PTSD, I think, with the pandemic, because I'm like, this is what it smelled like when things just got really bad. And I remember like, why am I just kind of afraid right now, or kind of like discouraged? And I think it was because March happened, and I just kind of just was reminded of what happened, you know, a year ago. So that's a bad thing, obviously. This is a good thing. But um, Jesus, though, is, I think, the disciples are smelling, seeing, hearing the breaking happen, And there's something about that that reminds them of something Jesus said earlier and what he did, and their eyes are kind of open through that. There's more than that, don't get me wrong. There's more going on here than just that. It's not just about senses. It's about God's revelation, opening their eyes himself. But I think that's in part how he's he's doing it. But here's an example, though, in John 6 of something Jesus said before he died, earlier in his ministry, actually. John 6, 35 and 51. It's a larger discourse that I encourage you guys to read especially if you haven't before, but um, go and read this whole thing he says. It's rich. There's so much more than just this, but for time's sake, I want to focus on these two verses. Jesus says uh, to the crowds at one point, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So quite simply, Jesus is saying here that I am like bread. My body is like bread. In other words, my body is like nourishment. Maybe like the manna bread was nourishment for Israel in the desert all of those years of their wandering. His body, he's saying, is what fights our battles and what saves us, what saves us from the despair of hunger, from the enemy of hunger, like metaphorically speaking. Kind of like how, if you remember Gideon's dream in Judges 6, remember what Gideon dreamt? It's kind of an obscure story. But Gideon, at one point, one of the judges, has this dream where he dreams of this big loaf of bread rolling down a hill and crushing the enemies of God's people. And you're like, what in the world? Why is this even in the Bible? But I think in part, he's dreaming about Jesus there. He's dreaming about the true bread that crushes all of our problems, that destroys all of our enemies, most notably sin and death. 
But the tricky part of this, of course, is the idea, and it's true for the crowds, if you guys know this, a discourse, people don't exactly love that Jesus says this. Uh, they leave him in masses. At, like, this is the point where people, up to this point, they're kind of like, okay, I like what he's doing for me. I, I kind of like what I'm seeing, but this gets weird. I'm out. And, and, and people leave him in mass uh, at this point. Not all, of course, but, but many do. And so the tricky, but the tricky part here is how do we understand what it means to eat Jesus' body? And we'll talk some about that. But one thing we do know is, and this is, I think, why people left him, is th- these are not the words of a sane individual, right? Unless you're the son of God himself, then it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, but this is, these are not the words of a moral teacher, but someone who sees himself as the solution. In other words, math teachers say things like 2 plus 2 equals 4, but Jesus is saying 2 plus 2 equals me. And, like, if a human being said that, we would probably run out of the classroom and never go back, right? We'd say that person's literally insane. Uh, but for Jesus to say, I am the bread, not here's the bread of a good way of having a good life or a way to live your life, but I am to eat my body and my flesh, either that guy's insane or he's lying or he actually is the Lord of all. He actually is the one who created bread in the first place for his purposes. Broken bread at that. But it's still kind of a a trippy thing. Like, my body needs to be eaten. And this is partly why, uh, the kind of historical note here, but a lot of the Romans in the first century, uh, probably into the second, third, fourth century too, but um, the first century thought Christians were cannibals because they talk so much about communion, which we're going to have today. They talk so much about eating Christ's body and drinking Christ's blood in the bread and wine, even though they're speaking metaphorically and symbolically, they didn't understand. And they thought early Christians were a bunch of cannibals, which is hilarious. But... um, All right, but anyway, so we start with this, though. Jesus is in the bread. He talked about bread himself as the bread, the bread that came down from heaven, from God, as a gift to be eaten and nourished uh, nourished by, to be saved through, um, ultimately. But it's not just that, right? It's not just bread given. What kind of bread? The next piece here is Jesus is not just in the bread, but he is in the breaking. He's in the motion of the breaking of the bread. It's not just the bread, it's the broken bread. If you, if you read carefully what's happening, it's, it's the broken bread that actually happens, is blessed and given to them, and that opens their eyes. Which, of course, if it's not clear, the breaking is a nod to his sufferings. It's a, it's a callback to Good Friday. Just like his scars were. Remember his scars? When he showed his scars to Thomas in his side? Uh, it's the same thing. Uh, brokenness is a callback to Good Friday just like his scars were. Jesus wasn't healed completely uh, in his body. I mean, he was. He was healed perfectly. He was glorified, but he kept scars uh, so that we can't consider Good Friday a pit stop, but actually the destination right alongside uh, Easter morning. So this too, this too, this idea is, at this point in the story, kind of like I was saying about bread, this is not a new idea. Um, we see this idea all over the Bible as well. J- Jesus is the broken or cleft rock that pours forth water for Israel. He is the broken stick in Elisha's ministry that makes the lost, sunken axe head float. He is the broken light of the world that when cast against the prism of the cross is broken and split into a rainbow, the rainbow being a sign of God's peace towards his enemies. But the light of the world had to be split. It had to be broken and pulled apart for there to be peace. 
You know, like another analogy would be Jesus is like the bread equivalent of a glow stick. It has to be broken for it to glow. You know, if Jesus wasn't crucified and split open, there'd be no iridescent salvific benefit to our darkened souls. So he has all these things and more. And here again, he's not just the bread, he's saying. He's the broken bread. He's the bread who suffered. He's the bread who was split open for sinners, hungry sinners, famished sinners like you and me. At one point in his ministry in uh, Mark 8, let me just set this up. He, um, a lot of you guys know this. Jesus, one of his miracles that actually all four Gospels include, which is kind of rare. You don't have uh, necessarily a ton that all four Gospels word for word share. But this miracle is one that all four Gospels uh, share, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But at one point in his ministry, Jesus multiplies fish and bread for 5,000 people, just a few fish and a few pieces of bread. Later, it is the same thing for a group of 4,000 people. So it's kind of a duplicated miracle in a way. Uh, there's different contexts, but the same kind of idea happens. What Jesus does is he multiplies it, gives it to his disciples. They disperse it to the crowds. They're like the waiters, the, ser- the servants, essentially. Then they pick up pieces for themselves at the very end. Remember that piece? How th- at the very end, they, were, they didn't get to eat yet, but they picked up broken pieces of bread for themselves as well. But look what happens in Mark 8. Where, with this exchange with Jesus and his disciples, where they too, kind of like the guys on the road to Emmaus, are struggling to understand who Jesus is. They're kind of blind to it. And Jesus has this same kind of bread conversation with them, but they stay blind, whereas the, the two on the road or village to Emmaus um, get it. And so I'll, I'll connect some dots afterwards. Let's just read this, though. Mark 8, 17 to 22, Jesus speaking. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And then later, pulling off of this, right before he dies, he says, in Luke 22, and, and he took bread, and, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gets more clear here, right? He gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. This is ours before his arrest. This is my body given for you after he breaks it. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Instituting the, the, the sacrament of communion um, for, and, and ever since we've been doing this, right? But do you see what's happening here? There's this movement from blindness to sight. But it's all kind of shrouded with bread. So after he says all of this, his, the bread of his body is actually broken on the cross for you and me. Then after he triumphantly rises again from the dead, he appears to these two men on the road to Emmaus. But when he does so, he breaks bread, holds it up and smiles and says, Now do you understand? Now do you get it? Do you see now? Now will your eyes be open to me? Now will your ears be open to the things that I said, whereas formerly you were deaf to them? And they do. Now they understand and, and get it. But there's something about broken bread that is the self-disclosure of God to the world. Even when people are blind, it's true. But now on this side, right, people are seen. Uh, and not just the two on the road to Emmaus, but many of you in the room. 
uh, have had this experience with Jesus too. Even though he might, have not, might not put these words to it, this is essentially what happened, is you knew God through his son's death. There's no other way to know him. How else do you know God, ultimately? How else do you know the Christian God other than through a broken bread or the brokenness of the cross? There's no other way to sort of repent and believe. There's nothing to, nothing to trust in, right? And so what Jesus says here is, eat bread, but also break bread. And do so in remembrance of me. This is how you know who I am. This is how your eyes will be opened. This is how you are to understand how much God loves you. Because he wasn't stingy with you and me, but gave up his one and only son that we might be saved. And notice it's bread, not law. Right? Jesus was ultimately known to us, not through the Ten Commandments, not through the the two stone-cold tablets of the law, but through a broken loaf of bread. Think about that. I mean, put that in your, you know, the hopper of your brain and just let it bounce around for a while. Think about that. How does God, how is God ultimately, you know, it's not through the commandments. It's through a broken loaf of bread. And so I think this passage invites us then into this place of having categories for this. Like, do we believe that? You know, is this how we know God? Or are we seeking to know Jesus in another way other than the way he wants to be known? Because remember, Jesus is hiding his identity at first and then revealing it through broken bread because he wants to be known on his terms because he loves us and not in another way where we can kind of muddy the idea as though it's a bit more about us. Another way to ask that would be, are your eyes closed to the true Jesus because you are seeking to understand him through another lens, a lens other than broken bread or other than the cross and empty tomb? I mean, it's, it, it's interesting, right? It's Easter Sunday, not just today, but I mean in the story. Jesus is doing this on the first Easter Sunday. He's talking a lot about his death. Brokenness is his death. The scars on his hands are about his death, right? His death wasn't a pit stop, but a destination. And so when we come to terms with this, we realize, man, what is Jesus really putting his finger on here? How is he wanting to be revealed? How does he want to be known? Is this the stuff of moral teachers or something more? How is he known and how, is he, how does he want to be remembered? And, and I think when we, when we come to terms with those questions, and, um, and you guys are in different places, I realize that. Some of you are not Christians, and that's great. We're glad you're here. Most of you are, but in different places. Wherever we are, though, I think what you see in this passage is not just this gospel truth. You see Christ making people alive through it. And, and, I, and we'll start to kind of wrap up here, but if you look at these three clauses that Luke describes the people with, the two men with, he says, their eyes were opened, their hearts burned within them, and they rose. They rose up to go to, to Jerusalem. And if you think about it, the, those clauses sound a lot like a resurrection, don't they? I mean, the idea of rising is certainly a word applied to Jesus elsewhere in reference to his resurrection, but also these things, these very things happened for Jesus just hours before this. His eyes were opened in the tomb. His heart started to beat and burn in a good way within him, and he rose off the stone tablet and walked out after kicking down the stone door, walked out of that tomb in victory, right? So, but I think what's happening, and Luke's not saying this explicitly, but implicitly what we're seeing is people come to life through God saying, I died for you, believe in me. Through the breaking of bread, 
people come to light. They're not just like eyes are open like, oh, I'm enlightened, like I get the information. They understand the facts, sure. That's a part of the journey, but it's more than that. They are coming to life, spiritually speaking. They're having a resurrection experience like Jesus physically did just hours before this, this moment. So let me say it again. The way that we are resurrected is through coming to see Jesus for who he really is as our hearts burn over what we read in the Bible, as we put our faith and our trust in his death and resurrection, which looks like broken bread, a type of brokenness that the whole Bible screams to, whether broken rocks or broken sticks or broken sacrificial animals or broken light, or in this case, uh, especially, broken bread. And one of my hopes for us as a church, for all of you, whoever you are spiritually, is that that you'll maybe never be able to unsee this imagery. That every time you break bread, assuming that you have bread regularly, I guess most people do, maybe you don't, uh, but communion at least do, right? But, but no, but every time you break bread with your hands or a knife, the rest of your life, that you'll see Jesus in that. That every time you break bread with your hands or a knife for the rest of your life, that you'll see God calling out to you saying, this is how much I loved you. I gave up my one and only son to be broken for you on a cross. And now, if you nourish yourself, if you eat that idea, you will be saved. And he's not saying this to worthy individuals, right? He's saying this to people who are sent. I mean, in the the disciples' case, who are on the road to Emmaus, they're not seen. He's saying this to blind people. He's saying this to hungry people. He's saying this to sinful people. He's saying this to murderers and thieves and oppressors. He's saying this to victims. He's saying this to people with shame. He's saying this to people who have no idea what they're going to do with their life, who are wanderers, who are God-haters, who are enemies of their creator. He's saying this to all of us, people like us, in other words. He, he holds out himself, God holds out his son, and he says, this is what it means to be saved. This is how you know who I am, through the written words of the scriptures, culminating in the broken bread of of his body. And so, so then, like the scriptures say, and I forget where this is, Ephesians 4 or 5 maybe, but um, it, the, the Bible says to us, though it refers to Christ first, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. The, the, the Bible, because all of this happened, God calls out to us and says, get up, awake, uh, you know, start to breathe again, maybe for the first time. And Let your hearts burn within you over how amazing this story is and how much God spent to save you from the depths of hell. And get up and walk into the new life that you have now in union with your Savior. Not saved by how good you are. Not saved by your works. But saved by all the stuff we're talking about. Grace. Saved by, essentially, Jesus serving you. So you notice that the disciples didn't serve Jesus, right? They didn't break the bread for him. That's actually really important. If that happened, it would mess up our whole theology of the gospel. That little story would. It actually would. It'd be inconsistent, at least. But the fact that Jesus serves us, he washes our feet. He's broken, we're not broken. He's ascetic, we're not ascetic. He fasts rather than us. He, is, he denies, uh, he has denied everything, right? He's the harmed one. We're not saved by cutting ourselves. We're not saved by starving ourselves. We're not saved by being a good person, trying really hard to, you know, all that stuff. Anyway, all that to say, guys, uh, the the invitation of of the scriptures because, or here's the progression, 
The broken bread and the resurrected bread leads to our resurrection. That's what Luke 24 is trying to subtly get at with how it describes these two men. Um, They're actually raised. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. If you believe in his brokenness for you and his victory over death, um, the same story is ours. That's the beauty today um, on Easter Sunday and, and every day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thanks for what it means for us now. Um, Jesus, thank you that you appeared to people like us right away. You didn't waste any time to show that the, re- the resurrection Easter Sunday means something for us. It means something for people. It means some- something to people who mourn, who have guilt, and who have shame. It means something for people who are lost and who are hungry. And uh, thank you that Easter is all about that. God, help us to awake as sleepers and arise from our own graves to follow Jesus out of his in the wake of his, uh, in the train of his robe. Let's help us to cling to it and follow him out because uh, he pulls people out of hell. Now that's, that's what you did, Jesus, and so we thank you for that. Um, and we look forward to the day when ground will tear open all around the world and cemeteries all around the world and actual physical bodies will come out remade, perfected, glorified, just like yours was. Um, until then, we, we pray you'd start that work within us, a spiritual resurrection, that our spiritual eyes and ears and hearts will be open and that we'd be changed um, from our old selves, coming to terms with how you want to be known, which is through love. It's through sacrifice. It's through grace. In Christ we pray. Amen.